week one of four. Say four. That's right. We're going to have four weeks of Christmas at the movies. And if this is your first time experiencing Christmas at the movies, this is not church as usual. However, it's very much church because we take Christmas movies and we use those as a backdrop for us to tell the gospel message in a very creative and unique way. We we decorate, we, we have an entire atmosphere set because we want to show you that God is, is moving in your life even when you don't realize it. And, and even when you have not comprehended Him, He has already sought you out. So, so this is week one. We're going to do this for four weeks. We're going to celebrate Christmas together. It's the most joyous time of the year. I know that's not the case for everybody. So when you come to church on Sundays, we want to put a smile on your face. We want you to celebrate Jesus. We want you to celebrate one another. And we want you to, to have some com- camaraderie in this season and during this time because uh, sometimes when people leave this house they they go home to uh, sadness and loneliness and especially since uh, everything that's happened the last couple of years so at least for a couple of hours while you're here on Sundays we want to pour into you and give you something to be uh, excited about amen so so this is not church like you're expecting it and it's certainly not church as usual but it's going to be very much church. Speaking of church, we forgot to announce that tonight at 6.30 we will be having our Super Sunday service. So if you're, amen, so we'll be having church tonight at 6.30. We do that once a month, the last Sunday of every month. Uh, well, we do it, we're not going to do it next month because the holiday season is, is hitting on that uh, week. But this will be our last one for the year, which means I'm doing something a little bit special. Uh, I'm doing something that I used used to do on watch night services I'm going to do that tonight and do some vision casting and things like that so uh, if you're uh, if you're uh, interested in having church 630 tonight but for this morning we're going to get right into introducing to you our movie for the di- for the week quiet, quiet please everybody quiet quiet I've got some bad news folks Christmas is going to be canceled. There's nothing I can do. This weather. Yeah. Rudolph, Rudolph, please. Could you tone it down a bit? I mean, that nose of yours. Uh, that nose. That beautiful, wonderful nose. Rudolph, Christmas is not off, and you're going to lead my team. I am. Yes, sir. You and that wonderful nose of yours. My nose, sir? Oh, from what I see now, that'll cut through the murkiest storm they can dish up. What I'm trying to say is, Rudolph, with your nose so bright, won't you guide my sleigh tonight? It will be an honor, sir. (laughs) I knew that nose would be useful someday. I knew it all along. We believe church ought to be the most creative place on earth because God is creative. He created everything out of nothing. All of this was his idea. 
everything that you find beautiful and lovely, whether it's the mountains, whether it's the snow, boo, whether it's the sunshine, whether it's the beach life, whatever it is about this world and this universe that you find amazing and, and you look at with awe and, and wonderment, God created all of that and he did it all out of his mind because he is creative and his creative spirit lives inside of us. And I don't think Walt Disney World ought to be the only place where creativity exists. I think that God's house ought to be a place where we are creative and we're inspirational and we bring people into an atmosphere where they are able to witness God's beauty. Can you say amen? So that's what we're going to do at Christmas at the movies. We've just introduced our movie, 1964. This movie is older than I am. And I'm getting ready to have a birthday, and that's a big number. Like, well, some of you are going to look at me and say, that's not that big of a number. And then others, you're like, that's a pretty big number. And it depends on where you're at in life, whether, uh, whether 49 is a big number or not. Uh, some of you are like, well, that's not so much. you got a long way to go. And then some of you are like, well, that's, uh, you're over the hill. So it depends on where you're at in life. depends on uh, what you think about that number. But it's, it, this movie was, was made in 1964. It's one of the most famous of all Christmas movies, Rudolph. The Red-Nosed Reindeer. Some of you can hear Gene Autry playing in your head right now, can you not? And, and so, before I get started with the sermon this morning, let's introduce ourselves to the main characters. Well, now let me tell you about Rudolph. It all started a couple of years before the big snow. It was springtime, and Santa's lead reindeer, Donner, had just become a proud papa. Nah, we'll, we'll call him Rudolph. Rudolph is a lovely name. Rudolph. Hey, hey he knows his name already. Papa. Mama. He's, he's got a shiny nose. Sh shiny? I'd even say it glow. Well, we'll simply have to overlook it. Now how can you overlook that? His beak blinks like a blinking beacon. <laughs> well, Donner, where's the new member of the family? After all, if he's going to be on my team someday, he'd better get to know me. <laughs> well, hi there. Aren't you the sturdy little fellow? <laughs> Santa? <laughs> and smart, too. Great bouncing iceberg. Now, I'm sure it'll stop as soon as he grows up, Santa. Well, let's hope so if he wants to make the sleigh team someday. All the deer hunters is looking at those antlers saying, wow. In keeping with the message of Christmas, I guess it's fitting that we started this year's At the Movies with an unusual birth. Now, of course, two reindeer having a baby deer is not exactly like Mary and Joseph, but this movie is an example of what I want to talk to you about this week, and it's sometimes life doesn't turn out the way we expect it to. And sometimes it's not what happens to us that makes the difference. It's how we respond to what happens to us. Notice the first thing that Rudolph's mother says when she sees Rudolph's shiny nose. She said, we'll simply have to overlook it. Donner says, how are you going to overlook a thing like that? 
And have you ever had something happen in your life where you just would rather put it under the rug and just overlook it? But then everybody else is saying, I don't think we can overlook that. We're going to have to deal. Some things just have to be dealt with. And Rudolph's mother, when she saw this nose, her first instinct was that this was a problem. And she could not, in her mind, fathom a, a scenario where his bright nose could actually be a gift. And that's what I want to talk to you about this week because from her perspective... And from Donner's perspective, and even from Santa's perspective, there's just nothing good, there's no redeeming quality about this shiny nose. She can't conceive that this shiny nose might actually be a gift or a blessing in some way. And why do they feel like that? Because it's not what they expected. Sometimes life isn't what we expect it to be. And you're going to discover as we continue to watch Rudolph together that his glowing nose was really a great gift. You heard in the trailer that Santa was able to use his nose to save Christmas. But a gift doesn't always look like a gift. Sometimes when you're presented a gift, it doesn't, it doesn't look on the surface like it's something that is valuable. As a matter of fact, I have discovered, because I've lived enough days, that some of the greatest gifts God has given me, when I first got it, I wanted to take it back and get a gift card for it. I wanted to return it to the store. I, I, was, I was in the market for something else. It didn't come wrapped the way I wanted it to be wrapped. It didn't come in the packaging that I wanted it to come. It wasn't at the right time. It wasn't the right shape. As a matter of fact, most of my gifts that God has given me, I overlooked them at first. I didn't think they looked very much like a gift. And it's only in hindsight, it's only when I look back over my life that I realize some of my greatest gifts I did not appreciate when they first were presented. So how do you act when life doesn't give you what you're expecting? Every person in this room has had some things happen to you that you didn't expect. And that, it, sometimes that's what we think most about at, at the holiday season, is it not? How, how you didn't expect mom to be gone. Or you didn't expect the marriage to be over. Or you didn't expect to lose the house. It, we always had all of our, our, our stockings hung at that same mantle and we lost the house. Or we moved away from that city and we moved into a new location. And I didn't expect this. I didn't expect to be 55 and out of work. I, I didn't expect things happen in life that you don't expect. So how do we handle things that are presented to us and we don't expect them? The marriage was supposed to be a dream come true. Nobody stands in front of a minister and says, I do, thinking they're marrying Attila the Hun. No, you think he's Prince Charming, but life doesn't always give you what you think it is. Amen. That job, that promotion was supposed to be the end of your problems with your finances. You remember when you got that promotion? You remember when you got that job? You remember when you got that raise? Oh, it's going to be easy now. All of my money worries are over. And then you found out that you was going to miss a whole lot of family dinners because you're going to be at work because the promotion means you have to be out there instead of where you'd rather be. And you also found out that when you make more money, you find a way to spend more money. Life doesn't always give us what we expect it to. How about children? We thought children was going to be such a blessing and an and, and, and enrichment to our life, but then we have a special needs child. 
And life doesn't always give us what we expect it to. Which brings us to the real story of Christmas. Let's think about Mary. Luke chapter 1, beginning with verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph. Now, when you're engaged, you're expecting to get married. Amen? So she was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? I am a virgin. She's not expecting as a virgin to be pregnant. Life doesn't always give us what we expect. Then the angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby will be born, will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. So that's Mary. Mary's not getting what she expected. But think about Joseph. Life's not giving him what he expected either. Joseph is about to find out that the woman he's engaged to is pregnant. And he knows it ain't his. He wasn't expecting that. He also wasn't expecting an angel to show up and tell him that this was all orchestrated by heaven. That the Lord sent the Holy Ghost to impregnate her. And that he's supposed to stay with her and raise this child as his own. That's not what Joseph expected. When Joseph asked For children, he didn't expect to be a stepfather of the Son of God. That's not what he expected. Life is not always what we expect. He also didn't expect to have to uproot his whole family and run off to Egypt because the king was going to try to kill his son, his stepson. But all of that happened to Joseph. Sometimes life happens to us. Sometimes it's out of your control. Sometimes it's orchestrated by the enemy of your soul. Sometimes it's because of your own choices. And sometimes it's heaven. And you can't do a thing about two of those. You can't do anything about the attacks. You can't do anything about the plans of God. So sometimes what happens to you, you just have to learn how to deal with it. Because what happens in you is more important than what happens to you. So, so, so the point is, God will give us gifts, which from our perspective don't feel or look very much like gifts. So the question is this, will we trust what God gives us to be good for us, whether it's what we want or not? I have found out that some of the best things God's given me is not what I ask for. And some of the stuff I ask for, I look back years later and thank God he did not listen to me. There are things that I ask God for that 10 years later I look back and say, Thank you, Jesus, you did not give me that marriage, that relationship, that job, that hobby, that thing that I I thought I couldn't live without it. And now if I had it, it would not be a blessing. It would be a curse in my life. So one of the main challenges at at Christmas time for us Christians is to trust that God knows what he's doing. Even Jesus, when he came, was not thought about as a gift. 
The Bible says in John chapter 1 verse 9, The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming to the world. He came into the very people he created, but the world did not recognize him. He came to his own people, and they rejected him. Do you know why they rejected Jesus? Because Jesus saw the gift in other people. Sometimes he saw gifts in people that society refused to see value in. And soon it is right before Christmas. And everybody is getting ready for that big, big sleigh ride on the night of the 24th Christmas Eve. You see, all the toys Santa brings are made by these elves. Seems elves have that certain knack for toy making. All except for this, this one misfit. Herbie! Aren't you finished painting that yet? There's a pile up a mile wide behind you. What's eating you, boy? Not happy in my work, I guess. What? I just don't like to make toys. No, well, if that's all... What? You don't like to make toys? No. Herbie doesn't like to make toys. 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 Toys? Do you mind telling me what you do want to do? Well, sir, someday I'd like to be a, a dentist. A dentist? Well, we need one up here. I've been studying its fascinating, you've no idea. Molars and bicuspids and incisors. Now, listen, you. You're an elf. And elves make toys. Now, get to work. Ten minutes break. Not for you. Finish the job or you're fired. Why am I such a misfit? I am not just a nitwit. You can't fire me. I quit. Seems I don't fit in. Ah, well, such is the life of an elf. Meanwhile, Rudolph is having his growing pains, too. Old Donner is determined to keep Rudolph's nose a secret. All right, son, try it on. I don't wanna. Daddy, I don't like it. You'll like it and wear it. Oh, but Daddy... It's not very comfortable. There are more important things than comfort. Self-respect. Santa can't object to you now. Why am I such a misfit? I am not just a nitwit. Just because my nose closed. Why don't I fit in? Now, this won't hurt a bit. Why weren't you at elf practice? Just fixing these dolls' teeth. Just fixing? Now listen, we have dolls that cry, talk, walk, blink, and run at temperature. 
We don't need any chewing dolls. I just thought I found a way to, to fit in. You'll never fit in. Now, you come to health practice and learn how to wiggle your ears and chuckle warmly and go hee-hee and ho-ho and important stuff like that. A dentist. Good grief. No, I just can't. It's like he said, I'll never fit in. I, I guess I'm on my own now. <laughs> hey, you're okay. She said I'm cute. Ha -ha! <laughs> Come on. <laughs> oh. <laughs> here, Box. After all, yeah! <gasps> <laughs> hey, look at the beach. Hey, Stop calling me names. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Donner, you should be ashamed of yourself. What a pity. He had a nice takeoff, too. <laughs> Your folks. From now on, gang, we won't let Rudolph join in any reindeer games, right? Right, right, right. Maurice? Papa. You get back to your cave this instant. But I, I... This instant, young lady. Yes, sir. Now, there's one thing I want to make very plain. No doe of mine is going to be seen with a, a red-nosed reindeer. Oh, is this your snowbank? No. Who are you? Well, actually, I am a dentist. A dentist? Well, I want to be someday. Right now, I'm just an elf. But I don't need anybody. I'm... I'm independent. Yeah? Me too. I'm... whatever you said. Independent. Hey, what do you say we both be independent together, huh? You wouldn't mind my... red nose? Not if you don't mind me being a dentist. It's a deal. I'm not sure how you're independent together, but that's... But Hermie the Elf and Rudolph meet each other, and they both realize they don't fit in. And they don't fit in where they are. Life's not giving them what they expected, and they don't fit in because they don't act like everybody expects them to, and they're not doing the things that everybody expects them to do. So they run away, and they meet a prospector named Yukon Cornelius, my favorite person in this whole movie. And they end up sailing away to an island, and this island is dedicated to the toys that are goofed up and imperfect and flawed, and they don't want to deliver them to the children for Christmas because they didn't fit in. Are you seeing a theme? 
Uh, they didn't fit in with the proper toys and the right toys. So when they get to this island, there's this spotted elephant. There's a choo-choo train that has square wheels. There's a boat that can't stay afloat. And then there's my favorite. Uh, it's not a jack-in-a-box. It's a Charlie-in-a-box. And this island is called the Island of Misfit Toys. And we're introduced to this, this word that they keep using over and over again, misfit. And what you probably don't know, and this is why this church is different than a lot of other churches, this room this morning and every Sunday morning is full of misfits. And, and, and I did not believe that or know that because they didn't teach us that when I was new in church. Uh, in the old church, we, we pretended like we had everything together. We, we acted like when we came to church that we were blessed and highly favored and there was nothing wrong with any of us and, and that uh, we were all perfect. And once we found Jesus, all of our troubles melted away. And so we became real good at lying. I mean, we became real good at testifying of the goodness of God, but we became real bad at being real and expressing struggles to one another. And, and I know you look pretty good this morning. You got up and took a shower. Some of you took a shower. And some of you brushed your teeth. And, and, and some of you fixed your hair and, and put on your Sunday best. I know you look pretty good. But there's, there's within each one of us this itch that we can't scratch. And if we're real truthful, there's still some carnality down on the inside of us that raises up ever so often. And, and we do things we don't expect from ourselves anymore. If we're all honest here this morning, we all have a tendency to do things that we hope nobody else finds out about. As a matter of fact, there's about three of you sitting in your chair this morning. There, there's the you that you know about, and then there's the you that everybody else knows about, and then there's the you that only God knows about. And you're all occupying the same seat this morning. And, and God knows some stuff about you you haven't even realized yet. And, and, and you will surprise yourself. Because of things that you will say or do or thoughts that you will have. And it didn't surprise God because God knew all along. But every once in a while you will, uh, you will do something and, and you'll say things that make you go, hmm. And, and I'm dating myself there. But, but this, this season more than any other reminds us that Jesus comes running after misfits. And, and th that's what I wanted to share with you this morning because that's the message of Christmas. That, that he came to save folks that are out on the margins. As a matter of fact, he came to save people that feel like they have to stay on the outside and look in because they don't feel worthy to come inside. And if you don't feel like you fit in with religious people, or you're, you're here this morning and maybe you don't feel like you fit in at church, you're in good company. Because some of God's best people in the Bible didn't always fit in. You know, Noah would not have been voted in as the pastor of any local church. Not after he got drunk in front of his kids and stripped naked. There's not a church in the valley that would have voted him in as the pastor. David would have been excommunicated and kicked out of every church once he had an adulterous affair with the neighbor and then had her husband killed. Nobody would have wanted David in the church. Moses lost his temper, killed a man, buried his body in the sand. And then fled out into the wilderness for 40 years. You want that man leading you as your spiritual ambassador? No. Hey, how about Jacob? Jacob stole his brother's inheritance. Lied to his own daddy so he could steal his 
brother's inheritance. There was a whole lot of crooks and rascals and scoundrels in the Bible. Just like there's a whole lot of crooks and rascals and scoundrels at Promise of Victory on a given Sunday. But thank God Jesus comes looking for misfits at Christmas time. Amen. Churches should hang a sign out front that says, Misfit Toys, welcome here. That should be the message that churches have. Because what are Christians if not people who realize we're not perfect? Because it's only when you realize that you're not perfect and can't help yourself that you come running to Jesus. Because you realize you needed a Savior. When we realize we're imperfect and we're flawed and we're goofed up and we're misfits, that's when we come to the most realization we need a Savior. As a matter of fact, when you read your Bible, there was a misfit that about 2,000 years ago, Jesus called and said, come follow me. His name was Matthew. Matthew was a tax collector. And what you may or may not know about tax collectors in Jesus' day were they were independent contractors. They, they had to pay the money to the Roman Empire, but they were Jewish by nationality. So they were actually taking from their own people and giving it to the Roman government. And most tax collectors were crooks. And so they would put a little padding on top because they got to decide when you showed up to pay your taxes, they alone decided how much to charge you. So most tax collectors would put a little bit on top for themselves. They would take and steal from your family, put some of the money in their pocket, and then give Rome what was due to them. And tax collectors in Jesus' day was hated because of how they treated their own people. They were thought of as scoundrels and crooks and thieves. And Jesus looked at one of them, named Matthew, and said, follow me. And Matthew did it. And here's what the Bible says. In Matthew 9 and 10, they were eating at Matthew's house. And now it happened as Jesus sat at the table in the house that behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. Misfits started showing up and eating at the table with Jesus. Oh, the scandal! we got to turn Jesus out of the church. He's eating with sinners. And it's interesting to me, when you read about how Jesus loved people and how Jesus witnessed to people, he was often witnessing to the people that the church didn't want to have anything to do with. The church in those days were led by people called Pharisees. And the Pharisees would get very angry with Jesus because Jesus was spending time witnessing and sharing his life with sinners and tax collectors. And sometimes I have to stop and ask myself if I identify myself more with misfits or with the Pharisees. R.C. Sproul was famous for saying that we are all recovering Pharisees. And I can testify that there's been a lot of my ministry and a lot of my time spent following Jesus that I identified more as a Pharisee than I did a misfit. Because I would look at the misfits and say that they're not worth my time. And I'm just going to be the only honest Christian in here this morning and tell you that I have felt judgmental toward misfits. That I have looked at people that have not arrived to the place where I am and not felt like they were worthy to be an investment in my day. When really... 
the religious people were not the people that I should have been investing in. It was all along, it was the misfits that I should have been pouring into. Pastor, why do you say that? Well, because verse 12 of that same uh, chapter in Matthew 9 says this. Jesus heard what the Pharisees said and he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but it's those who are sick. In In essence, what Jesus is saying here is, look, you Pharisees think you've got it all together because you feel well, but you don't know how sick you are. But the ones I came to talk to are the people who realize they are sick. He said, I came as a baby in a manger to reveal myself to people who know they don't have everything figured out and they don't have all the answers and they know they need me. You guys are so religious, you don't think you need somebody when the truth is standing in front of you. I'm the one you've been praying for and you don't even realize the gift that's standing in front of you because religion has blinded you to heaven's gift. And he said, only misfits can understand who I really am. And in verse 13 he says, for I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. Later on in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, he tells us how we're supposed to treat people. And it's not just in church. He's telling you how to treat people that you live with, in your family, that you work with. Here's what he says. He covers all of his bases. He says, I want you to look at the unruly and warn them. I want you to look at the feeble-minded and show them comfort. He said, if they're weak, support them. And... If that didn't cover everybody you know, be patient with everybody. He said, this is how you're supposed to treat people. The Apostle Paul says, if you're wondering how to treat one another, if you don't have to master the Bible. You don't have to have a degree in theology. You don't have to know a whole bunch of scripture. He said, if you know people that are out of order and unruly, warn them. You look at them and say, you shouldn't do that because God's not happy about it. But also if you know feeble-minded people, you know people that are just scatterbrained, people that are all over the place, people that don't have no discipline in their life. He says comfort them. Don't write them off. Don't throw them away. Just because they're a misfit don't mean that they're worthless. He says comfort them. And then he says the weak. I don't know if you know it or not, but you're surrounded by weak people. And everybody's struggle don't look like your struggle. And some people are struggling with sin, and some people are struggling with addiction, and some people are struggling with lust, and some people are struggling with a devil that tells them to lie about everything. And when you look at them, you say, well, that ain't my sin, it's not my problem. But the Bible says you're supposed to support the weak people. And where else could people come to get support in a dark, cold world but God's house? We should be supporting weak people. Yeah, yeah. So, so when people are weak, they don't... They don't get it all right the first time. We don't get it all right the first time. We mess up. Some of us continue to mess up. I've been preaching and messed up. I've been preaching at you, mad at you at the same time. Oh, yes, I have. I've been preaching at you, praying that you get blessed, and at the same time, want to sock you in the nose. I mean, that's just human nature. Okay, me and my wife don't always get along, and we got to come to church, and she's going to sing you happy, and I'm going to preach you happy, and then we're going to go home and and act like junkyard dogs at one another. Because we don't get it all right the first time. We are working this thing out with fear and trembling. Amen. And, and, And you're afraid to clap about that in church because we're supposed to be perfect, but can I tell you, we're surrounded by misfits. 
We are all in this thing together pulling toward the same destination. We're all trying to get to heaven. And we're surrounded by misfits. And I think sometimes our attitude is wrong because we look at the unruly and the feeble-minded and the weak people and we want to ignore them. We want to write them off. We want to run away from them. But to be a healthy church body, we have to get involved in the lives of misfits. He said support the weak. People will come up and get saved and then they'll mess up and we got to support them. Because they stay on the bicycle. When my little Veda, when she starts walking and she falls down, we're not just going to say, well, maybe that walking thing's not for you. We're not going to say, well, you're not serious about walking yet. You call me when you're serious. No, if she gets up and falls down, we're going to clap because she tried. And some of the people sitting around you, they're trying. And you ought to support them and cheer them on. They're trying. And they don't look all like you, and they don't act all like you, but eventually they'll get there if we learn how to support them when they're weak. Amen. And then Paul Paul gives us this one final instruction. He said, all all the rest of them, be patient. That's a good challenge for all of us today. Be patient. People won't always say the right things, do the right things, dress the way you want them to dress, act the way you want them to act, say all the things that you think that they should, or be as mature as you think they should, but be patient with them. It's God's plan for the church to be full of misfits. Why do you say that, Pastor? Why do we do Christmas at the movies? Jesus taught in these things called parables. Parables was when Jesus could look out in a field and he would see a guy throwing seed. And he would say to his disciples, the kingdom of God is like a person that goes about sowing seeds. And that seed falls on good ground and it falls on stony ground. And as he was teaching them, he could show them what he was saying. That's a parable. It was something they understood because it was real life to them. Our modern day parables are movies. So we use these movies as backdrops to teach you the gospel. One of the parables Jesus taught was a parable about a lost sheep. And the lost sheep simply says this. A sheep got lost and a shepherd refused to go to bed until he found his sheep and brought it back. And he went and found it. And you know that when he found that sheep, there was a lot of ways he could have responded. When he found that sheep, he could have scolded it and said, You stupid sheep. You ran away. Now let me... Give you 40 lashes. I'm going to teach you it. But he didn't do that. He, he could have, when he found the sheep, he could have said, you embarrassed me in front of all the other sheep. Now you're going to have to come back and make a public apology and you're going to have to prove yourself to me and all the other sheep before I'll bring... He didn't do that. He, he, he could have sold the sheep. He owned the sheep. He could have said, I can't have you in here teaching all the other sheep how to get out and run away. I mean, if you found your way out, you can tell them how to get out. I'm going to sell you. He didn't do that. When he found that sheep, he took that dirty, stinky, nasty, heavy sheep and threw it over his shoulder and brought it home. And not only that, when he got home, he called all of his friends and had a party because he said the one that was lost has been found. The misfit came home. See, that's that's the gospel. That's the gospel when the misfits make it home. 
I love, I, listen, we'll have church here tonight, and, and we'll have church. I love having church. I love that explosiveness. I, but nothing, nothing is more important than misfits making it home. And some of us aren't as far away from being misfits as we'd like to admit. And the text says this, when he found it, he lays it on his shoulders. And the point of the parable was that God loves to save the lost. He loves to save sinners. And if God is in the business of saving sinners, then we ought to expect the church to be full of sinners. Come on, church. If our church reflects the heart for the loss that God has, then our church is going to be full of people with problems. Some of them, some of them are going to have a lifetime of consequences on them when they come in here. Everybody didn't get to Jesus the same way you did. Some of them took a long and winding road to get here. And when they come in here, they're going to have a story that would curl some of y'all's hair. And you're going to have to love them because Jesus loves them. That's the sheep. That's the misfit that made it back home. In other words, church is not always a religious safe place. Sometimes church is messy. And church should be messy because we're misfits trying to make it to our father. And we've got stench on us and we don't have all the answers and we make mistakes. And so sometimes church is going to be messy because you're going to get saved one Sunday and backslide. Or you're going to make some mistakes and it's going to be open and on display. And the church is going to have to bring you right back in and throw you over our shoulder and say, Come on back to the father's house. Mess and all till you get this thing right. Uh-huh. That's why when the devil starts making uh, light of my bad choices, and by the way, I still make a few. Uh, I'm, I still make some mistakes. I, I'll, I'll be honest this morning and tell you that I don't get everything right the first time. But I like to remind the devil when he reminds me of my mistakes, no, I'm not perfect. No, I don't always, I don't always do it right the first time. I, I, I have some repenting to do. Sometimes I have to tell God I'm sorry. Sometimes I have to tell people I'm sorry. But know this devil, I admit when I'm wrong. I admit my flaws. I make it right and I try to move on. I'm not perfect, but I know I'm saved. I may be a misfit, but I'm a saved misfit. I know he loves me. I know he has poured himself into me. And I know that he's got a destiny and a purpose for me. And nothing can snatch me out of his love. Because even though I'm a misfit, I'm his misfit. Can somebody say amen? So what makes it so hard for misfits to get it right? In the first part of the sermon, I told you that Rudolph's nose was actually a gift, but it didn't look like a gift, right? It's a misunderstood and unappreciated gift. Sometimes you don't see the value in a gift until you need it. And, and, and God gives you gifts, but sometimes your gifts will attract trouble. Uh, his nose was the reason he ran away. Him and Hermie and Yukon Cornelius, they ran away because of his nose. And he hasn't saw his girlfriend. He hasn't saw his mom and dad. He's been out and about for a long time. But his nose attracts the attention of the abominable snow monster. And every time they try to settle down. And every time they try to uh, uh, make a home. The abominable snow monster comes and chases them. Because he keeps being attracted to Rudolph's red nose. Can I tell you this morning that the enemy is always attracted to what makes you different. 
The gifts that God puts inside of you is the reason the devil attacks you so badly. Because the devil is always trying to snatch the gifts away from you before you realize how valuable they are. He's always trying to break you before you're able to utilize what God has put inside of you. And at the end of the movie, it's Rudolph's nose that saves the day. His gift changed the lives of all of his friends and it saves Christmas. And that's the reason the enemy is attracted to your gifts. He wants to steal them, stop them, or make you feel ashamed and run away. Well, time passed slowly. Rudolph existed as best he could. The snow monster kept him on the run. But once in a while, he would stop and make a friend or two. But it wouldn't last long, and Rudolph would be on his own again. But during all that time, a strange and wonderful thing was happening. Rudolph was growing up. And growing up made Rudolph realize you can't run away from your troubles. And pretty soon he knew where he had to go. Home. In person? We're saved! Let's get out of here! I'll light the way! Why, blast your hairy bumble hide! Don't let this big blowhard scare you anymore. Just walk right past him. I tell you, you're looking at a mighty humble bumble. <laughs> He's nothing without his choppers. Let me at a job. Looky what he can do. And he doesn't even need a stepladder. But, but you went over the side of the cliff. Didn't I ever tell you about Bumbles? Bumbles bounce. <laughs> so now that I've convinced you that we're all misfits, Maybe this morning you realize that you haven't got it all right. That you've done, you've done some things that you wish you hadn't done. That you know you shouldn't have done. And yet the gospel tells you that God's not finished with you yet. He loves to reform misfits. The whole purpose of Christmas was Jesus came to save misfits.
The movie said that Rudolph realized that growth means you stop running away from your problems. And when you realize that you're done running away, it's time to go home. In a crowd this size, there's got to be some folks that's tired of running. I know, because I'm a misfit too. Sometimes you just get so tired of running the wrong way. Because once you start making the wrong choices, it's easier just to go with the flow and keep going the wrong way. Before you know it, it's not just an anger explosion. Now it's a way of life, and everybody around you thinks you're an angry person. It, one drink with friends turns into you've lost your job and all your money and your family. Aren't you tired of running? Haven't you got, you're just a misfit. Listen, so am I. We're just at different places. But the, the answer is the same. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what makes you a misfit. You could be a religious misfit. You could be an a, addicted misfit. You could be a misfit that chases people that you don't need to be chasing and doing things that you don't need to be doing. It doesn't matter what makes you a misfit. The answer is always the same. It's time to go home. It's time to stop running and come home. You can think you're well and be very sick. You can be walking around totally infected and not realize that you need medicine. Have you ever, have you ever known someone that wouldn't admit that they had something wrong with them so they wouldn't take their medicine? That's what some of you are doing right now. You're not physically sick, but you're spiritually sick and the gospel is the medicine you need because it's the vaccine against hell that makes you well and, and it's the thing that will set you free and liberate you and deliver you and some of you refuse to admit that you're sick so you just keep spitting out the medicine and you come to church on Sundays and you hear the gospel presented and you know it's for you but because you don't won't admit that you're sick you just keep spitting out the medicine. But the gospel message hurts at first, but you need it. And you're a misfit. And you need Jesus. You need to come home. And if you will admit that you're sick, you can be well. And it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what your story is. It doesn't matter how, how long it takes you to get to this point. If you can admit you're sick, you can be made well. Because the medicine of the gospel heals. Remember Matthew I talked about? He was a tax collector. And Jesus said, follow me. Matthew was a tax collector. That means he wrote things down. It means he kept records. Jesus said, follow me. He was a tax collector. He was a misfit. He had a misfit job and misfit friends and was a misfit himself. And Jesus said, follow me because you're a record keeper. And there's a book in your Bible. 
by the title of St. Matthew's Gospel. That is a record of the life of Jesus Christ and all the people that he was kin to. And he needed somebody that could keep records. So he called a misfit that had a misfit job and misfit friends because he knew one day he would need somebody that knew how to keep records so that you and I would be able to read this story today and receive the medicine of the gospel that is the vaccine against hell for our souls. Because Jesus takes misfits and uses them for heaven's glory. And that's what he wants to do for you today. When I, when I, when I call you to come forward as a misfit, I'm not doing it to, to, to pound my own uh, drum. I, I'm not trying to pad numbers for anything except we're trying to we're trying to let you know that an infusion of this gospel message is the vaccine that you need against hell. And, and you're still going to be a misfit, but you'll be a saved misfit. And, and you can stop running because you're coming home. And it may, it may not look perfect, and you may still smell funny, but, but we're going to help you, and we're going to support you because that's what you do with weak people. And, and you undergird them, and you support them, and you pick them up, and you, and you bring them home because... You need to go home. Pastor, I'm not perfect. You don't know what I've done. Oh, I could tell you some tales. And I'm still not perfect. But I'm a whole lot farther than I used to be. And I'm a whole lot more like him than I started out being. Because I took that first step back home. So if you're here this morning, and you're a misfit, and you're tired of running, and you need to come home, I'm going to ask you to be bold and brave. And I'm going to ask you to step out of your seat and come down to this altar. And we're going to have some people that's going to meet you here. Our prayer team is going to meet you here. And they're going to take a misfit. And they're going to show you what heaven will do with a misfit once you turn your life over to Jesus. Because he likes to elevate people that have misfit friends and misfit jobs and misfit pasts and make them new and show you that he comes to save lost people so I'm going to ask everybody in the room to stand this morning and we'll be giving away some things here in a moment but this is way more important than anything you're going to receive if you're here this morning and maybe you've been in church for a long time. I didn't ask you if you joined the church. I didn't ask you if you've been baptized. I didn't ask you if we have you on our membership role. I'm asking you if you're a misfit that needs to come home. And maybe you've said a prayer before. Maybe you've even been baptized in water. I didn't ask you any of that. You know in your heart when you're a misfit. And you know when you're running. Bless God, you know you're tired. And if that's you this morning, I want to invite you to come down to this altar. No judgment. We're all misfits here. There's not a perfect one among us. But us and the angels in heaven will celebrate once you get here. Because you're the reason that we're here today. You're the reason that God sent this message. You're the reason the Holy Spirit is invading this room. You're the misfit 
that heaven's looking for. By the way, you won't be the first one. If you haven't noticed already, there's people moving. I'm calling all the misfits home. Jesus loves to save misfits. If that's not you, and you know that you are where you need to be, and your heart is right with the Lord, I want you to stretch your hand forward this morning, and I want you to pray over these that are coming up, because they need support. They are weak. They are babes. They're taking their very first step toward their father and toward home. And they need support from people like you. We're just misfits. Man, we're tired of running. We're tired of running.